Hi, friends. You are listening to the EntreEd Talk podcast, where we feature amazing educators and entrepreneurs showcasing how you can bring entrepreneurship into the classroom. We believe entrepreneurship is for everyone. I am your host, Toy Hirschman, and I am so glad you chose to join me on this journey. Let's go. Okay, welcome back everybody to the Entre Ed Talk podcast. I am super excited to have my friend Shannon Watson here with me today. I'm going to give you a little bit of a bio. She, Shannon calls herself a mild mannered reporter by day, but renegade writer by night. That's awesome. Shannon uh, is an author and she's working on her book and she's an avid reader and history buff and spends most of her time in the fabled lands of Camelot and Avalon. And that is from where she writes. This is going to be super fun. Hi, Shannon. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Toy. Thanks for having me. This is great. So I'm going to have Shannon share a little bit about herself and her journey, but I just wanted to, to say uh, quickly that we have spoken to many authors on this podcast, as our uh, listeners know, but we've never spoken to an author in the middle of the process. So she is on her own entrepreneurial journey. So welcome, Shannon. And why don't you get us started and tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background and how you got to where you are today with this awesome book. Well, thanks. Um, Well, I think it started when I was very little. My mother liked musicals and she got me hooked on the musical Camelot, the uh, Richard Burton, Robert Goulet version of it, at least the soundtrack uh, when it was really very little. I was still in single digits and... um, yeah, from there, I, I as I got older, I started reading about the history behind it, and that's what really hooked me. I love archaeology and history and reading, and which is uh, kind of the cornerstone for any writer. Is you never want to write more than you read, so I'm very fortunate with that. But um, I love digging down to the archaeological bedrock behind all of the myths and. Arthurian legend is the largest body of literature in the world. So it's a lot of digging. <laughs> um, and I use that as the basis for my book, which I've been researching and writing for a long time in between and around jobs and school and all life and all the other things that get in the way. And then I found this great class and I'm taking through Georgetown University with Toy and with Eric Coaster and uh, Haley Newland and I'm having a great time with it and I'm learning and I'm, it's a roller coaster ride, but we're actually getting to the end much faster with a little help from my friends. So that's yeah. great. That's awesome. Yeah, we are in uh, this class together and it has been, uh, as she's right, it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> you are absolutely correct. Um, but I, I just wanted to too give a shout out to uh, Eric Custer and this awesome book creators project. Um, if anyone wants to know more about that, I can put it in the show notes. But we uh, we interviewed him on this podcast um, very early on in in the podcast and just absolutely loved 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 the interview. Um, a wonderful, amazing guy, and then this program has just brought together such a, a great group of people, which is why I thought it'd be awesome to have a few folks on here to share your story because it's so entrepreneurial, and that's what we do with entrepreneurship education, and uh, we want to encourage st- young people, adults, everyone to be entrepreneurs and do what resonates with them and follow their passions. Yeah. 
So speaking of this book, I did not know that Arthurian legend was the largest body of like, I did not know that at all. And um, I didn't know much about it, but I read the mists of Avalon oh, in yeah. high school. Um, and that kind of sent me on a mini journey, not, not, quite, not quite as big as yours, but that was just such a different perspective of the, of the legend that I just, I fell in love with that book. It was really cool. Big, huge book though. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's big. This is also big. It has a lot of things in common with that. It's, it's multiple women, some of the lesser known women, as well as some of the um, more popular names that everybody knows from Arthurian legend. And um, those are the narrators. I've one main narrator, and this is the first in a series of 10 books, which we'll have more increasingly more narrators as we go on but i thought i'd start with three and believe me that's been more than enough <laughs> but it's nice to have an updated women's point of view um because they had a lot more rights back then than we ever think that they did and they had a larger role to play than most people would think of when they think of the middle ages or in this case the dark ages which are the early middle ages wow no i did not i didn't so you're gonna write 10 books <laughs> yeah, I've already researched them. I've already outlined them. I and I've already written parts of many uh, and most or all of them really. But I, it's, I, I think so. If if I don't <laughs> drop dead sometime during this process before I get to the end, I will. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh my yeah. god, that is so cool. So oh well, that is a really big endeavor. But this even just writing one book is a is a big endeavor. Can you share what inspired inspired you to just get this process rolling? So you've been working on your book for a while, but getting it rolling and actually committing to this, this, this process is pretty big. It is. Well, I've always been committed to it, but my best friend's son took this class last semester and he vouched for it. He brought it up. He brought it to my attention. He um, is much younger. He started writing as he wrote his first book in high school. And um, he just says, this is a phenomenal program. He found it through college and um, he's enjoying it. And he says, it's great. And he was right. It's fantastic. I'm learning a lot, not just about the book, but how to market it, how to use social media properly. And um, I thought I knew because I did have a company that trained me on social media a few years ago, but it's outdated because as you know, technology and social media, they grow and change so fast that you have to stay up to date with how to use it, how often and, and who to target on what platforms. And so this course has been helping me with that too. Um, and I just enjoy kind of tying it into the Arthurian stuff as well. You know, I was thinking about having like a festival Friday for all the ancient pagan and old, you know, festivals and holidays and things and, and just doing, using that on social media. So that's coming up too, to just to tie it into the book. Yeah. I, um, I am scared of social media. Scary. <laughs> <laughs> thinking about how do I do a TikTok about these things? It's very, it, it is, it's very, it's not scary for me to just use social media in my life, but to use it as a tool. That's, that's uh, my, my boss can attest to this. I could not wait to give over the company Twitter 
Shout out to Eugene. He asked me, he asked me one time when I was doing all of that stuff, he's, do you mind if somebody else takes, I was like, Oh, heck yeah. Here you go. <laughs> gone, gone. Right. Yeah. It's hard to, 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 you know, you, to try to be natural and, and it's, it's a very strange space. Yeah. So what has been your most favorite thing so far through this process? Uh, through the whole writing process or just the class part of it? Uh, either one. Either one. I think my favorite part of it is seeing, as I research the characters, I've translated every single name. I've gone back into the costumes, the, the religion, and I love best to see the characters come alive again and walk and talk and breathe and laugh and as they might have at least I like to get as close to them as as I can as far as the history goes and so seeing them come alive again is probably my favorite thing I love it it's it's so fun I took a research trip to the UK for three weeks a while back and it was great and really exciting to go over the same ground that these people walked on and you know you're kind of breathing the same air it's a little bit more polluted air nowadays but <laughs> you know but than it was in the fifth century but it's fun and it's exciting and it sure is beautiful Scotland and the Isle of Man and and England gorgeous oh, and the people are wonderful that's on my list I really have been to Europe but not not explored that part I really want to go to the Isle of Man that sounds amazing <laughs> Oh, I love the Isle of Man. The people are very warm-hearted, welcoming people. It seems like the colder it gets, the warmer the people. <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> it did. It seemed like it when I was over there. They are all wonderful people, though. It was really, really lovely. And that's where my um, my heritage is, too. A, a good chunk of it is from that the UK and the British Isles. So it's kind of, for me, it's like family history as well. So that's very, it's very exciting to me wow that's you had a good time what um on the flip side of that what has been the most challenging part I think ripping up the book (laughs) in the class I've come with this whole book you think oh good I'm ahead I'm gonna get ahead I you know I'm nope not at all it is very difficult to tear your baby apart and put it back together and it's exciting to see like a different, someone else's point of view, someone who really knows what they're doing. I have a great editor, Margaret, and she's fantastic, but um, she's teaching me how to self-edit and she's not just editing my book. She's showing me how you have to think about how to initially put a book together. And in my case, how to take it apart and re-string the beads and it's not easy, but it's been a really big learning curve and it that's, but it's difficult. It's very difficult to take all your hard work apart and to detach yourself from it so that you don't, um, you have to step back and see it objective, objectively and you don't want to hang on to things that don't belong in the book. If it doesn't make the boat go faster, then you just don't do it, you know? And that's, that's been a real discipline, self-discipline um an act of self-discipline and a learning curve there that's probably the most difficult though (laughs) for sure I I, we talked a little bit before uh we started the podcast but I just think that has to probably be way harder than starting from the beginning you know to have to take it apart I know I had to take things when I've had to take things down like I 
working on a, a dissertation and different pieces of that. And I've had to take it from 10 pages to five pages or just Ugh. smaller things. And it's like, it's so much harder to tear it down than it is, to build it is. It from scratch. So how do you feel that, how do you feel that the, the structure of the course and having a, a cohort with you has helped? I know we, we've talked to several authors and we've never really dove in uh, to the conversation with anybody, but they all say the same thing. Writing that book was so hard and that at least the first one, and I guess that's because you have to learn all of those, those things. Um, we just had our friend on uh, Brian Weisfeld a, a couple of weeks ago because he's on his third book oh. and, and it's a, an entrepreneurial series for young readers. And uh, um, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing series, but the first book took so long. And then the second two books were really, you know, they, he like got this, this cadence down. So anyway, so the question is, what? <laughs> how does that, how do you feel that the structure of having a course and having a cohort have really helped really helped you keep momentum and motivation to get to get to the finish line? For me, I think it's the not like getting in your head. I'll get like any good author. I can get in my head and walk around for quite some time. And it having people to talk to about it brings you back out of your head. Sometimes you think you're the only one that's losing sleep or walking around in a daze or worrying about this or frightened about that or and you start talking to everyone else, or even if you don't say a word and they start talking and you just hear them, it will come out. They all say the same thing. We all worry about the same things. We all get hung up on the same things. We're all struggling with, I mean, it, even if it's something that only a few of you are struggling with, it's a huge help. You're not alone. You're not even the only one going on this journey at this moment. It's been, that's been really helpful you know, they're very, everybody's very encouraging of each other and very supportive and that, you know, they'll listen, even if they are writing something totally different to what you're writing, they still are very, very generous with listening and, and support. And that's, and, and then you get to be supportive of them too. And that helps as well. Sometimes doing something nice for somebody else is the thing that makes you feel better when nothing else will. So I found that's really kind of been really fun and it's nice to have a community yeah I think that's really the key of this of this whole thing and um and also having those navigators that are like Haley oh, or the other awesome. some of the other folks that are have been through it and are just a few steps ahead of you because just having that you're like okay they can do it and they're talking about their struggles and so it makes it easier for you to be able to to do it, you know, say, okay, well, I can do, I think I can do this too. Right. But yeah, it's, it's neat. I, I thought many times, and maybe you have the same experience, but you have a different, cause you have a different lens. Cause you were already, you already wrote most of this, this book, but um, I would have never in a million years written this, the way that the, the, <laughs> the way that we're being, we're being guided to write it, it like it, where, I would have been very linear. I would have been very, you know, it had to be perfect before I moved on to the next thing. And I would have probably gotten stuck in the edit somewhere in the first couple of writings and then just given up because Analysis, paralysis. Yeah. Because yeah. I would have just obsessed and then it would have been too hard. And 
it, it's, it's blowing my mind how kind of free it is. I'm just going to write about this thing up here and that thing over there and, this <laughs> thing and out of date, out of time, way out of here, but it's, but it makes it easier to do it like that. Because when you get, when I get stuck on something, I'll, I'll just move on to just put that down and move on to the next. Yeah, absolutely. I know I've been jumping around too. And I'm like, nope, got to get this done. These two of these three are easier and they're more like, I'm going to do these three chapters. Then I'm going to go over here and do the tough one or what, whatever it takes. And it's kind of nice. You give yourself a lot of break because they're giving you a break. They're giving you the freedom to do. They're telling you it's okay to do it. Do it. However you have to do it, you know, try different things. Cause I do, I do get like that. I, I have all these templates I've created for myself with my writing and, and with my research for God's sake, it's such a huge cast of characters. You have got to have some method of like containing and, and tracking them. I mean, it's like George R. R. Martin or JK Rowling. They have huge casts of characters and they say she works with a chart on her desk. I can understand it. I've got charts, so many charts and templates in my computer. I could, I could write a book just on writing a book, just from the stuff I've had to create, just to track all of the research. Um, so I, I, it's, it's nice to have something like that where there are other people who've said, well, why don't you try it this way? Or it's okay to do that. Or you don't have to do that. It's so helpful for someone who's that hyper-structured to hear, oh no, you don't have to do it that way. I almost need permission for that. I need someone to give me permission to like loosen up, you know? I think, I think a lot of, of us are in that kind of situation because this, like I said, this, I would have been much more rigid on myself than, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm surprised that it's, you know, I was thinking the other day, cause yours is different than mine, but as a memoir, um, it's, it's, I would be journaling anyway. Right. So mm -hmm this is kind of, it's been very therapeutic to do, to be able to do that. And then know that I'm going to get to share it with somebody is a little bit scary, but also pretty cool. And it, it just, it's very freeing. Well, that's a way that's really helped me. My um, editor is very uh, character-based, pro-character-based. And I was struggling with my lead character's voice because I was trying to base it on me. And to some extent. And I have, you know, I have had a lot of um, issues in my past with depression and fear and things like that. And so the, the editor has been asking questions that have drawn out and it's come out that the theme of the book, that even though Arthurian legends very action-based and I have all these different characters, the theme is fear and overcoming it and how most people uh, myself included, we would like to just deny it that it's there or try to push it away and get rid of it. But what you really have to do is look it in the eye and work through it because fear is one of those things that gets in behind you, gets in back in the back of your head. You sweep it under the rug, the monster gets bigger. And so that's kind of a theme. And so I have a couple different characters in there who deal with it. I've got my three main ones who deal with it fear very differently. And one of them deals with it more like I do. Another, you know, the other two have different relationships with it. So it's turned into kind of the, the bottom line of the book is, is dealing with fear and how different people um, handle it. So, and how it affects your life, but nobody's without it. And yeah. that's kind of a freeing thought for me too. And I was like, but every now and again, I'm like, oh God, do I have to write about that? Like you have to dig deeper. And I'm like, oh, I don't like this at all. 
it's very, it's very like, no, I just want to, can I write about something pretty now? <laughs> I don't want to write about all these, all, all these beastly things like fear and nightmares. And, you know, I, I, so it's, it's been really, really good for me. And it is, like you said, it's very, it's extremely cathartic, but sometimes you do have to reach deep and pull it all out, you know, and that, it's kind of wrenching. <laughs> yeah, that's, but it's, it's so good to also to be able to show that. And even way back then, people had these same kinds of things because it's just a, a human condition. And yeah. for so long, we've been so afraid to talk about the hard things. Just yes. in general. And I'm just excited that that's, that seems to be changing not just through the book project, but just in the world in general, in world. like Brene Brown and all these people who are now, you know, they're sharing the hard stuff and it's, mm -hmm. you know, and it, when I read people like that, or when I read stuff like what you're writing, I'm like, you know what, we need to, we need to talk about this. Cause when you do, you find out that we're all just people. Yeah. <laughs> it's a global, we're a global community now. And I think we're really becoming that. I, I'm hoping that, one of the long-term effects of coronavirus will be that we really in truth become a global community and start living like that because that's that's how you survive you hang together you hang separately <laughs> so i think we need to all hang together and i'm hoping for that i hope for that every day so i'm hoping that's been one of the things in this world that does that's always brought people together is art and books are one of the art forms that have survived centuries, which is amazing. And we've gotten more efficient at them now. Now we have these handy dandy electronic delivery systems. So that's really great for us as authors. My favorite audio books. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, there's that. Yeah. Before, all these different forms. Before Corona, before all of this, I travel quite a bit for work and um, oh my gosh, I miss it now. But it, oh. But that's what I did because, you know, you can't really read in the car and drive. It's kind of hard to do. And um, so I would just, I just started building this library of audiobooks. And I know that that's one of the first things I will do is record the audio version because that's my go-to for, for books. Um, but it still counts as reading though. I think it still counts. <laughs> yeah, I think it does actually. It's still, it's, and it still counts as art. Absolutely. It's really two forms of art because it's the written word as spoken word. So yeah. it's, it's very important. My, I have some of my poetry was recorded um, is um, copyright in the library of Congress. And they actually had some of my poems on tape that they recorded aloud. So that was nice too, you know, to be awesome. selected for that. That is really yeah. cool. Yeah. An honor that yeah. I love writing poetry. That's, and it serves me well in the book too. So that's kind of nice. They all, all of my books have poems in them. Yeah. Even the ones that aren't part of this series. So that's kind of nice. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. I can't wait to read it. I'm so excited. Oh, good. oh yeah. We'll see how it holds up to this Babylon, but. <laughs> we're all going to be out of money because we're all going to end up buying each other's. <laughs> I already bought someone's. I already did. I liked her cover and. Um, Haley, actually, Haley Newland told me to um, check her out on Instagram and I liked what I saw and I liked what she was doing. And she's really neat. She's a Slovakian author who took a Slovakian fable and turned it into um, fantasy or historical fantasy. Yeah. 
and she has a really beautiful cover and yeah i'm like it's amazing amazing all the different authors and all the different ideas we have some phenomenally bright people yeah and it's a, it's really an honor to be part of the this crew it really yeah. i mean i just i just you included i've met so many amazing people that like I've kept, I've said since day one, I think if, if nothing else like that, this experience has just been so eye-opening and wonderful and people from all over the country and the world. And just, oh, it's no. really, it's really cool. Really inspiring. What do you think? So, so winter comes, winter's coming and you, you, <laughs> you publish this book. What, what happens next? What do you do next? Do you start the second one or what do you think you're going to do? Well, I, they've talked to me a little bit about, you know, the promotional stuff like podcasts and book, they've talked about book tours and things like that. So if not that, or in addition to that, definitely starting the second one, because it's already outlined and in there. And, um, I'm already thinking in the back of my mind here and there, like, what am I going to do and how am I going to structure that before I really started uh, differently than I did with the first one? Because, you know, it's a different ball game now. I've got more knowledge. Um, I've been reading the story grid and um, save the cat and different things that are about structuring your book. And what an eye opener. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a totally different ball game. So, but yeah, definitely. I think I'll be, I'll be working on book two. When I started the class, I was working on book one, which is the tyrant and the twins. Um, and that's the first in the series, the annals of Anavir and Anavir being my lead character. That's the Guinevere character. And then, um, I was also working on a book about Gilles de Ray, who was one of Joan of Arc's captains who was falsely accused of murder. And, um, so that's kind of almost like a medieval murder mystery. And then I was working on a third book that at the same time, because I'm crazy like that on um, it's this first in a series of three and that's about um, it's kind of a haunted, like a, like a ghost story kind of thing. So uh, that's part of my haunted house history series, but I had to put those down because this class is very much focused and it's, it's demanding. You want to get that push to get the book out. And so I'm going to go to book two and we'll see, get working on that. And I may take the class again to do, to help with that. I'm thinking about doing that. I think it's vastly helpful. You know, it truly is. I would, if I think about doing another one ever, I, <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely take the class again. I don't know if that's, if that's in the cards for me, but we'll see. That's amazing. So you've got all kinds of, you have all kinds of different series, series, series. Yes. Um, and you, that's neat. So can you like share a little bit more about without spoiling anything about what kind of the overall idea of the tyrant and the twins is about? Sure. Um, yes. So it starts with um, Anavir, who is the Guinevere character, as a young girl, and she doesn't know where she came from. Children in those days were fostered out. So we've got Anavir, her half-sister, Rafa, and Quinhild, who is totally on the other side of the battle line. She is um, Utish, which is like Anglo-Saxon, and she is about five years older, and she wants to grow up to be a warrior, a shield maiden. Um, with 
that culture with the Germani, they had choices like that. They, they could stay at home or go into politics. They could go into herbalism. They could do a lot of things. Um, but being a warrior, a lot of the women did fight alongside the men. And they did in several of the other cultures around them in the fifth century, like the Irish and the Picts. Um, the Romano-Britons, which are kind of the culture that Anavir and her sister come from, not so much. They were a little bit more Romanized and the Romans were women stayed at home, but they're also part Pictish. So there's a little bit of something else there too. And it's kind of fun to play with the cultural aspects because then you get things like religion and politics that come in and you know what that does. That creates conflict, no conflict, no story. And there's a lot of story here. <laughs> so I know more about fifth century Britain politics than I do about modern day politics, but it's <laughs> probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, who knows anything about that? So it's a lot of that fifth century politics in the UK and as well as the continent. Um, and it plays a real heavy role. And a lot of times when you're missing something, like you don't, they always say, you know, is Arthur really history or not? I kind of look at the Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, or maybe it's Yoda theory of it. If you look at, um, it was Attack of the Clones, that that movie, you, um, you see Obi-Wan Kenobi asking Yoda about a missing planet. And Yoda tells him, well, the planet's missing, but all the stars and moons, are, that satellite around it are still there. And if you, are, you can't find your exact planet, you can certainly locate it by what's around it, the culture, the religion, everything that we do have tells us that there was something there and there was something going on. And so having kind of really narrowed down the archeology span and the geography of it, it's the story kept shrinking geographically until I realized exactly where this was happening. Um, it was more of a territorial dispute in some ways in borders Scotland in the fifth century. It was a smaller story than, you know, it wasn't the king of some great big medieval kingdom like we think. Um, castles were more like wooden frontier forts and, and if you look at like Braveheart, you're dealing with that. You're dealing with Scottish warriors in a, in a really brutal time and climate and trying to hold the narrowest point of the island against invaders. And that's, that's kind of what that story is, is the broader picture, the global story is more about. But it's so much fun because again, you're seeing a whole world come to life. It's almost like having to recreate a Wonderland or a Narnia or Neverland or something, but you Middle Earth, but you because it's so long ago, we don't have that anymore. Um, there are laws and, and peoples and languages that were what they were doing then that don't exist anymore. Um, we only have them in fragments like Gothic and Pictish um, languages or the spoken languages that are dead now, like Latin, um, you know. And English is even a sort of a remnant of the Anglo-Saxon, the old English. Uh, so it's interesting to see, I'm working in more than 20 languages and I'm only fluent in one. <laughs> I can just read a dictionary real, real well, <laughs> but, um, uh, or a lot of dictionaries, but our Wiktionary is my best friend. <laughs> I have like a heart, heart shaped picture frame with Wiktionary's picture in it on my <laughs> nightstand, you know, it's, it's been very, very, very helpful, but I love doing that. Cause when you see these names come to life too, if you're looking up a person's name or even a fort and you get some boring translation, like, Oh, fort by the river. That's when you know that you actually have it. 
it's not going to be, oh, you know, the blood forge or the fancy schmancy. It just doesn't, it's usually boring and, and, and kind of prosaic, but that's when you also know, and you get titles like, oh, that means Duke or Duke of war, or that tie, that name means, you know, um, man of valor. It's very simple and it's not as sexy overtly, you know, it's not like, oh, the bluebird flies south, it, you know, it's, but you, that's how you know you got it right. You weren't using your imagination, you're just translating it. And that's what it's there is some title or some geographic designation that tells you you're on the right track because it's, it's everyday stuff, but it's real. Um, and they, they are, um, that means you're dealing in real world time. And that's very exciting because that's when you know you're, you're actually being true to the places and the people and the things that happened. And that's not a myth. There are myths overlaid onto it and in it, but it's, it was a real place and these are real people, which is exciting because it's like seeing all your fairy tales come back to life. Yeah. And you're like a detective too. So yeah. that's gotta be cool when you finally stumble upon the thing and you know, you have it and you're like, oh, oh, that has to be so neat. It's like solving oh, a really complicated problem. And you, that's, that's so cool. I'd never thought about the Syrian legend that way, because just kind of like what you said, you just think, oh, that's so long ago. Did it exist? Did it not exist real? Is it not? But to be able to find things like that and go, oh, wow. Well, for instance, I came on across something uh, yesterday and it happens all the time. I was going, you know, you can't remember everything and the older you get, the less you can remember. And there's a lot of stuff. So I was writing about the grail ceremony. And what, one thing we know is they carry the hallows down the, uh, you know, the Holy Grail being one of the hallows. Well, the first hallows that they carry down the aisle in the processional are these giant candelabrum. Right. And everybody's like, this is a very mysterious ceremony. So I'm looking because I knew I had to go back over the early Christian ceremony. So I looked up some of my notes and there's I was looking not for that. I was looking for the functions, the um, the priestess, a deaconess, an acolyte, the Ostiaris who held the door. And it said, well, the acolytes in the early Christian ceremony, their job was to carry the candles down the aisle. And I went. Click. There it is, the acolytes, that's an actual part of the ceremony. So this is part of a real ceremony, not just some fanciful made up grail ceremony from Crushy and Detroit or one of the other old you know, romance writers. This is the real factual part of an early Christian ceremony where the acolytes carry the candelabrum down the, down the processional. And I was thrilled because it's it's a very simple thing and it seems very obvious, but you have to put the two together. And I was looking for this. I was looking for an acolyte, not for what they did, but where they were in the hierarchy of early the early Christian church. <laughs> not and sure enough, but I was writing about the grail ceremony at the same time. So boom, it came together like that. And I was absolutely thrilled. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. Oh, wow. And I you know, it's just, it's just something like that almost every single day when I'm doing this, even though I've been doing this for years, I've been studying it. It's very exciting to see that stuff happen. That it is, really is. That had to give you chills. Like when that, like, oh. yeah, goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. I think acolytes, I, I'm not well-versed in this, but I think that they still do that. And like, I know that we've had them in our church and they come and they light the, the candles. That's right. So that, but it's like very real. So that's like, oh, I've got it. That's it's so cool. it's real world now. Yeah. And some of these things survived and some of them didn't, but when they survive like that, 
doesn't that kind of bring it into into HD? Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's like a discovery. It's like you're an archaeologist. Yeah, I'm an armchair archaeologist. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the easy kind. So, um, so we have a lot of educators that listen to this podcast and and different entrepreneurs and things, and I'm sure I've. I'm going to guess because I know teachers and how creative teachers are. They're amazing. That probably many of them have a story in them. Um, So could you share maybe some, like some advice you would give to a teacher or even a student or even a teacher to give to a student if, if they want to write a book, what would you say to them? I can, I used to teach Montessori. (laughs) I was a Montessori teacher for five years. (laughs) So yeah, I can. Um, and before that, I was also a tutor, and uh, and years before that, I was a, a um, assistant Montessori teacher. So yeah, I, I can. Um, I my nephew actually, I was the one who started encouraging him to write too. So I, absolutely, I mean, for me, it's the number one thing, the first thing, the primary thing is to find the idea that fascinate you, the core, the kernel of it that fascinates you, and collect as much of that stuff that fascinates you as possible because. Here's the thing is if you're writing just to write, you're writing and it's, you're droning, it's going to, if you're bored, the reader will be bored. But if you're fascinated and excited about it, that excitement translates, it comes out on the page and that's, you're you're not going to get every reader, but the readers that are excited or interested in that are going to be even more so. It translates and it translates well. That's what you have to do is find the, find the love, (laughs) you know, what excites you is going to excite them. And it, it, that works. That's perfect. And oh my gosh, it's such a perfect juxtaposition to um, the d- just the entrepreneurial journey in, in general. And um, you know, and even when you find that that thing that fascinates you, and you start to research and pull and, and explore, you might not end up at the end of the book with what you thought you were going to start with. But no, you won't. <laughs> Well, well, just like we, when we talk about the entrepreneurial journey, we talk about, okay, you have this problem that you want to solve. You have this thing that you're, that you're excited about, but usually by the end of it, you're still excited, maybe even more excited, but it's, it's not yeah. what you thought it was going to be. Your outcome is very uncertain because it's like it, it, so you go in that direction and you'll start pulling research and finding things like for, for me, I had a very specific direction, but it's actually changed so much since I started, since I started writing it, I've thrown away a bunch of things because of that. I'm like, no, but it just went into an entirely different direction. So that's, that's really wonderful. And to not be afraid of that, I guess, is, is a really good point. Yeah. If you'd asked me years ago, when I started this, if I was writing about fear, I would have told you, no, <laughs> I was said no, I would have known what you meant. Yeah. And now it's, it's, that's kind of the the, the internal conflict of the book. So there's the global conflict and the internal, and that's definitely the internal, but there's your character arc. So, you know, it's, and it's also a universal theme. Not everybody wants to read about Arthurian stuff, but everybody struggles with fear. So I figured, yeah. And it's, and it's, it's cheaper than therapy for me. So <laughs> well, it is probably better in many ways because it's, yeah. you're really, you're really able to get, I mean, creativity is just something um, I'm so excited to see all of these, 
different ways that people are being creative and being and exploring that and, and even in therapy that's being like we mentioned that that's being um being used more and more um because that something just comes out when you decide to let yourself be creative and have that that free it's very freeing mm -hmm. it is it is and most of many therapists will tell you to write anyway. So there's journals and dream journals and, and this and that. So, yeah, I mean, you might end up writing a book anyhow, even though you didn't set out to. So, you know, that was kind of my, my, my thought process uh, when, when Eric got in touch with his team, got in touch with me because I had mentioned, I wanted to do this when he was on the podcast and they remembered um, and it was really interesting because it was at the perfect time. It was like, I could have never done it before that just because of where I was in my journey, my own personal journey. Um, but it was, it was neat because it was like, well, I'm kind of writing this stuff down anyway. Why not, you know, <laughs> why, not, why not make use of it? Yeah. Make it count. So, and that's, it's the hope is that you reach reach your goal the, the yeah and um you know and if i can with my book and with your book like really reach somebody and inspire them i think that's that would be so amazing it's just one person yeah. cool with it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe well, two maybe one or two <laughs> yeah. but it, you know and it I've, I've reached out because of this i've reached out to some authors and i've gotten responses just like I love this book. I, I've never, I've never rated anything on Amazon or any, and I've been doing that lately because I'm like, you know, I, I, th this book, this other person's book meant so much to me. And I feel like I need to tell them that because it's important that they know that it inspired me. That it touched someone. Yeah. That it changed somebody's life or touched someone. That's yeah. That's a, every author's dream, but not everyone gets to hear it. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, you know, from being in school, you only hear the bad things oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> you when you, as a teacher, you only hear when you messed up and you very, very rarely hear like from a parent or a kid that's like, oh, this was so great. I, you know, I love this lesson or thank you for doing that for my kid. And it's, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. You know, people don't tend to share the, the wonderful stuff as much as the bad stuff, unfortunately. Squeaky wheel, squeaky wheel syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Oh. That's true. Yeah. Well, Shannon, this has yeah, been a... absolutely wonderful. I so appreciate you being on today and um, tell everybody how they can get in touch with you if they want. And we'll put all that in the, the show notes as well. If they want to learn more about your, your journey and what you're doing and your, and all about and how to get it, how to get a book. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm not sure yet because the book comes out in December, 2021. Um, they're, they're saying December, maybe January, but probably December. And at that point, I am not sure, but it is The Tyrant and The Twins. And I publish under um, the pen name S.A. Watson. So it's that's my author's name. And I'm on, good Lord, what, uh, let's see what social media am I not on? I'm on Twitter and Facebook. And I have The Annals of Anavir is a pay, my Facebook page. Uh, I'm on Twitter as Shanavir. I'm on Instagram as Shanavir. <laughs> like that. Cool. Uh, yes. Uh, well, that's my lead character is Anavir and I'm Shannon. So 
Shanavere. <laughs> I'm on Pinterest as Shanavere Studios. I just started, I have a personal account as Shannon Watson, but I have Shanavere Studios account as a business account. So I'm trying to get that off the ground on Pinterest and I'm also on LinkedIn. So Ooh. pretty much anywhere. <laughs> I think you can get hold of me just about anywhere. That's so. wonderful. We'll definitely put all of that in the show notes. So anyone who wants to look you up can find you <laughs> in any yep. place you like to look things up. Any place, pretty much anywhere at all. <laughs> oh, I haven't tra- started trying it yet. Thank you so much for being on. This has been so much fun. And we will, I'm sure, be in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a ball. (laughs) 